It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which, of course, means armchair politics coming up at uh, 10 o'clock or the second hour of our three-hour tour for two hours of commentary and analysis. Plus, we'll talk about uh, yesterday's uh, primary election, which uh, in some counting uh, places is still going on, but uh, we've got some early returns that we'll be talking about. Former Flint Mayor uh, Dane Walling will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. But uh, before we get to that, we get to this. Um, Every so often, we're uh, fortunate enough to be joined by economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. He joins me now by phone. Hey, Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Um, interest rates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're low right now. Um, I, you kind of thought after the Great Recession 10 years ago that interest rates couldn't go lower. And what do you know they have? Um, I saw the 30-year mortgage rate dipped under 3%. 15-year mortgage rate has dipped under 2 Uh That's just unprecedented. And the Federal Reserve has essentially said that, you know, at least until 2022, 2023, we're not going to raise interest rates. So it seems like that low interest rates are here to stay, which in terms of the federal budget, they kind of have to be given how much debt um, the federal government adding to its books every year. Uh, the federal government set to increase the national debt by four and a half trillion dollars this year as a consequence of the pandemic shutting down the economy, which depresses tax revenues, plus all these so-called stimulus bills that are being passed. There was the CARES Act back in March. You know, that's a trillion and a half, two trillion bucks. They're talking about doing another one this coming week for another $1,200 plus some other stuff. Didn't I see, the- didn't I see uh, Nancy Pelosi saying something like she wouldn't settle less th- for less than something like $3 billion? No, three trillion. She wants to do three trillion. I think the Senate close to one trillion. But even before the pandemic, the deficit was projected to be about a trillion dollars this year. But now we're looking at four and a half trillion dollars. So that's all borrowing 
that the government has to pay interest on. So if interest rates even increase by a couple points, you know, you're talking about, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in additional spending every year just to service this debt. Um, if interest rates rose to 1990s levels, you're talking about interest payments on the debt every year being over a trillion dollars, being bigger than um, the military budget, being bigger than Social Security and Medicare. So the government just can't afford higher interest rates, given the amount of debt it's servicing, which is a big reason why low interest rates are here to stay. And and what's happening with the overall economy? And, and what do we mean when we say the economy? Because a lot of times I ask you about kitchen table things, you, you know, unemployment and, um, you know, wages and, and those kinds of things and how they impact the economy. But yet those things seem to have a minimal effect on the economy, at least on Wall Street. Um, and, and what about this this debt and these interest rates? How do they play into the economy? Yeah, so that's a complicated question. So, well, I wanted to give you something to work with, Chris. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I guess, like, broad brush, to think about the economy, you could think about gross domestic product, which is the total output of all final goods and services produced in a particular year. Um, because everything else in the economy broadly tracks that. So if GDP is rising, well, you need more people to produce output. So jobs are rising, unemployment's falling. If jobs are rising, that means the demand for labor is rising, which pushes wages up, which, you know, broad brush improves the kitchen table issues that you raised. Uh, the problem is everything's working in reverse right now. Um, second quarter GDP for 2020 declined by 9.5%, meaning second quarter, you know, 9.5% fewer goods and services were produced compared to the first quarter. And that was down by something like 1% compared to the fourth quarter 2019. So less output means fewer workers, which is why the unemployment rate's over 10% right now, which depresses wages, you know, which makes those kitchen table issues really tough for Americans. When you so that's where I would start with, would start with defining the economy. When you talk about GDP, uh, gross domestic uh, product, um, and, and goods and services produced, do they have to be purchased, or is it just measuring what's produced? No, it just measures what's produced. So if something's produced but not purchased. They just count as a, as an inventory, which is part of GDP. So, so the stuff could be sitting in warehouses, but it counts as assets for the overall economy. Right. So, if General Motors produces a bunch of cars that don't sell, and they just sit in a parking lot somewhere, well, that just counts as an inventory, but it's still part of GDP. How is that? How how does that that make sense? Um, I, I, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, if you're producing goods, you have them in your inventory, so it counts as assets. But if nobody's buying this stuff, at some point it has to count against um, the economy. Yeah, so, yeah, that's another complicated question, so... If someone buys something, that's consumption, which which is also part of gross domestic product. So, 
I think people look at both things. They look at overall GDP, and they look at overall consumption spending. Um, because consumption spending does give a measure of standard of living, because what, what good is a, is a product if no one's buying it, if it's just sitting there? It also consumption is the largest component of GDP. So if you see consumption spending take a nosedive, well, that's a bad signal, even if GDP hasn't taken a nosedive yet. So I think people look at both. Um, what's a bit unusual about COVID is you see GDP taking a nosedive um, down, like I said, about 1% compared to last quarter of last year, down 9.5% compared to the first quarter this year. But you really haven't seen consumption spending take a dive yet. And the reason is, is because things like the CARES Act, the extra $600 to unemployment, um, the $1,200 that most Americans got, you know, that's papered over that difference, which has allowed people to continue to buy stuff, um, even though production has declined. Yeah, I was um, going to ask is- about that because it, it, it seems to me, and, and just f- at a glance, because we're all kind of cut off from, you know, everyday life, but when I go to the store, there's people at the store, you know, when I'm watching television and news reports, it it, it looks like people are, are, are still spending and consuming. Um, certainly, there's been no change in the, uh, the advertising to buy you know, couches and cars and fast food and all that. Um, so it seems like consumption is is remaining fairly level. Can that can that last? No, it can't last um, because an ironclad rule of GDP is that total output has to equal total income because the way you generate income is by producing output. Uh, you know, an easy example to think about is like a coffee shop. You know, if someone buys a cup of coffee for two bucks, you know, that's a two dollar output, a cup of coffee, but that's two dollars in income for the coffee shop. So if output declines at some point, income has to decline by the same amount, so that output equals income. So you can't sell what you don't make. That's right. Exactly right. So the way the government talks about GDP is a little bit weird. So I said that um, second quarter GDP declined by 9.5%, but that's not the number that gets reported. It gets reported as a 32.5% decrease. So that's an annualized rate, meaning that if over the course of a year GDP declines by the rate it declined in the second quarter, about a third less output will be produced compared to the previous year. Well, eventually what that means is that income has to fall by a third, Um if GDP declines by that amount, um, which means that people's standard of living takes a huge hit. It's a third less than it was in the previous year. So what the government's essentially doing is printing money to try to cover the difference between income and output, um, which is which it could do in the short run, but it can't do it in the long run. Because then you get to the issue of, well, if you're printing money but not producing goods and services, you just have the proverbial too much money chasing too few goods and services, which is inflation. So, you know, that's the long-run problem is that if you really do have GDP fall by a third, um, which it will if the, tw- if the second quarter decline continues for a year, either you let income fall by a third if people's standard of living falls by a third, or you try to print money to cover the difference and you get inflation. You know, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty tough choice, right? Two really bad options. 
the lowering of uh, mortgage rate um, interest was kind of of interest to me and it, it it reports that I saw indicated that that it could or is creating a um, a new interest in in home ownership and it kind of seemed like after the housing bubble that a lot of people would be gun shy from buying or investing in in houses and real estate the way they would have say before 2008 yeah i'm a bit surprised by that too um so i think the explanation is that people expect uh the slowdown due to the coronavirus to be short-lived that people have an expectation that maybe by the end of this year by early 2021 you know things will be back to relatively normal if that's true, well, then buying a house right now makes a lot of sense. Housing prices haven't skyrocketed, but interest rates are really low. So if you could lock in a 30-year mortgage at less than 3%, and then the economy is back to relatively normal in 2021, you know, you got a really good deal. Um, and I think that's probably the bet a lot of people are making. Well, the problem is the other side of that bet is, well, that things don't return to normal in 2021. You know, that we have waves of shutdowns as we have waves of the virus spiking, and then eventually there is widespread defaulting on mortgages, and then you're into a 2008 situation, uh, which is a bit troubling because the last I checked, it is probably worse now, you know, that about 10% of uh, people were delinquent on their mortgages. Well, if there's another, if there's a longer-term shutdown to the future or um, the unemployment rate is slow to come down, you know, those, def those defaults turned into foreclosures, and then you get a bunch of foreclosures dumped onto the market, you know, with pretty soft demand for housing, perhaps, which pushes housing prices down, and all of a sudden buying a house right now was it, was it such a great deal. Well, yeah, because the, the uh, problem we ran into before was people got stuck in houses that they, they couldn't afford and couldn't sell. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, like I said, you know, 10% plus, plus of homeowners are delinquent on their mortgages. And if the economy remains soft for an extended period of time, and now you get foreclosures, you know, the banks put those foreclosures on the market, you get a big increase in the supply of homes. That pushes the price of homes down. All of a sudden, people find themselves underwater on a mortgage. Maybe their house is worth less than what they owe on it which spurs further foreclosures if the economy remains sluggish. Um, even more people can't afford their mortgages. Plus, people think that buying a house is it's such a great idea, which is just a long way of saying that. You know, we could be facing another housing crisis um, next year if this economic slowdown continues. Um, Chris, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Oh, sure. Great. My guest is uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. We're talking uh, economy and interest rates and a number of other things. We're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when, they, when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. Lady of the house, please. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky. Soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Early Gate Rock. All dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes. The king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program. I'm talking this hour as we uh, ramp up toward uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, Todd. Great to be here. Uh, we started out uh, the last segment talking about interest rates, but uh, something I've, I've uh, always wondered is the Federal Reserve often uses uh, interest rates or regularly uses interest rates to try to move the economy in one direction or the other. If they lower rates, it's because they're trying to goose the economy or, or rev it up a little bit. And under what circumstances um, would they ever want to raise interest rates? It seems like if lower interest rates boost the economy, you'd always want to have lower interest rates. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the answer is, is that the economy is become, becoming overheated, if you will, and that the economy is doing so well that the demand for output is so high, the demand for labor is so high that eventually it started to exceed the economy's productive capacity, which means that in the long run, prices will start to rise, which is inflation. So when the economy becomes overheated like that, the Federal Reserve will step in, uh, raise interest rates to try to dial things down a bit um, in order to prevent that inflation from happening. Um, it's just really hard to remember the last time that's occurred. Um, I think the last time it occurred was around maybe 2005, 2006, right at the height of the housing bubble. Um, housing prices are rising rapidly. The unemployment rate was pretty low. And the Federal Reserve was worried that, well, in the long run, that might be inflation. So let's try to raise interest rates um, to try to slow down the rate of economic growth to prevent that inflation from happening. Well, the problem is that some people say that the Federal Reserve went overboard raising interest rates where they raised the interest rate they control, the federal funds rate, which is the interest rate banks pay and receive when they borrow and lend to each other overnight. Um, they raised that from like 1% to I think over about 5%, 5.5%, so a big increase in interest rates, which might have been an overcorrection. And rather than slowing the economy down a bit, uh, they might have caused the economy to crash. Um, another example might be late 1990s. Um, that's really hard to remember, but those of us who can remember the late 1990s, the economy was really strong, you know, record high um, economic growth, really low unemployment. The long-run concern was inflation. Um, so the Federal Reserve started to slowly raise interest rates to try to head off that inflation. Well, then the problem was in 2001, you get a recession. So maybe there was an overcorrection there too. Um, so the short answer is the Federal Reserve wants to raise interest rates when they think that things are maybe going a little bit too well, which will result in inflation. Um, so raising interest rates tends to head off that inflation. It's just that hasn't been the economic problem we've faced for at least the last 15 years. The well, problem is always... Before the pandemic earlier this year, um, the president was uh, really boasting about the American economy and how well it was doing and how robust it was. Were we anywhere near the feds taking that kind of action, or was that just bravado on the part of the president? A um, little bit of both, I think. 
um, you know, bravado is never in short supply with this president. So, you know, of course, <laughs> it's it's actually yeah, one of his more endearing qualities, right? Um, and it's not a new quality from him. So, you know, people should have been surprised if that's what he's going to do. Um, but the economy was uh, pretty good up until the pandemic, and that the unemployment rate was under four percent. Um, Growth was okay. It was, you know, right around two, two and a half percent, um, low by historical standards, but, you know, pretty good by post Great Recession standards. Um, you know, about a couple hundred thousand new jobs were created every month, which is pretty good uh, by post Great Recession standards. So there was something to talk up. Certainly he's doing that for political reasons, too, because historically oh, speaking, and come the president gets reelected with the economy strong. Uh, there was some concern that there might be some inflation because economists for a long time believed that once the unemployment rate got below, say, four, four and a half percent, well, that inflation starts kicking in. Well, you know, the unemployment rate was under four percent, but inflation never really kicked in. So I think the Federal Reserve was like, well, until we start seeing inflation, we're just going to kind of let the good times roll. Um, is is that raise, is is the fact that uh, um, inflation didn't start happening a result of perhaps soft consumption? Um, I don't think so because consumption was fairly robust um, before the pandemic. It's kind of a puzzle for why inflation didn't kick in. Um, you know, there's several theories floated. Um, the theory I kind of buy into is that the you know, 3.5% unemployment rate was a bit misleading, and that 3.5% unemployment in 2019 was a lot different than, say, 3.5% you know, unemployment in, in like the late 1990s. Because what you saw during the Great Recession was a big increase in unemployment, of course, but you saw also a big exodus of the labor market and that some people just dropped out of the labor market. Um, stopped looking for work because things were so bad and the sector they were employed in got permanently smaller. So if you were a home builder, perhaps, um, maybe you dropped out of the labor market after after 2008, 2009, or if you worked in the finance sector or similar sectors. So the unemployment rate only counts people who are actively looking for a job. So if you drop out of the labor force and stop looking, you're not counted as unemployed anymore. Um, so you know, that 3.5% unemployment might understate uh, the total level of joblessness out there in the economy, and that when the economy picks up and um, starts growing again, you might see some of those people start um, entering the labor market again, which means that, you know, a 3.5% unemployment rate doesn't really mean that workers are in short supply. It just means that, you know, there might be lots of workers on the sideline who are waiting for things to improve before entering into the labor market again. So I think that's why inflation never really kicked in in 2019 was because, you know, that 3.5% unemployment didn't really reflect a shortage of workers, which means that uh, wages were slow to rise, which means that the overall price level was slow to rise. Does the, uh, the, the federal government, which uh, does a great deal of spending for infrastructure, uh, military support, um, R&D in a variety of different uh, uh, industries and, and disciplines. Um, does the money the federal government sp 
spends impact those consumption numbers? Um, I think I think the answer is yes. So, I mean, could it could it skew it or or make those numbers seem a little misleading? Because at times when I've heard that the economy was doing very well, I knew a lot of people who were not doing so well and were not buying things and and able to buy things. Um, so it yeah. makes me wonder if if the government spending doesn't maybe bolster consumption a little. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So like we were talking about before the break, um, with the coronavirus uh, shutdown, you're seeing a big decrease in GDP. You're seeing a big decrease or a big increase in the unemployment rate. But you're not seeing a big decrease in consumption spending because all this additional government spending in the form of extended and enhanced unemployment benefits, uh, plus the $1,200 checks, plus other things, are allowing people to spend money um, even though they're out of work. So in that sense, the government spending is very directly tied to consumption spending. Um, even government spending that's more wasteful, you know, if you think about you know, some low-valued you know, government project, I was just reading in the Wall Street Journal today uh, before our talk that you know, there's lots of junk in the latest Senate version of um, the coronavirus stimulus and that um, the White House wants, I think, $1.7 billion for a new FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's a billion or two for some F-35 fighter jets that probably you know, are pretty low value. Um, you know, there's some money there for Apache helicopters. All that's pretty low value, but at the end of the day, you know, if someone has to build those fighter jets, you know, there's going to be a construction worker on the FBI headquarters. So, you know, that $1.7 billion will translate into some consumption spending because those workers will get paid and spend it at the grocery store or spend it on, you know, stuff on Amazon.com or what have you. So but I was thinking spending, even even the the... the agreement for the contracts, the spending on the contracts themselves before it trickles down, if that impacts consumption, if that counts as items purchased? Um, yeah, so it's not technically consumption spending. Um, government spending is a separate component of GDP. So GDP is consumption spending. You know, that those are the things we've been talking about. Um, Investment spending, which is not investing in the stock market, that means businesses purchasing new equipment, if you will. Um, then there's government spending. Um, that's where, like, the new FBI headquarters, F-35 fighter jets, Apache helicopters would fall into. And then net exports, exports minus imports. So if the government built the new FBI headquarters for $1.7 I think was the number, you know, government spending would instantly increase by $1.7 in that component of GDP. And then it would trickle down into consumption spending in the future as, you know, those workers, the suppliers get paid and, and, and spend that money. What is happening with the, with the so-called trade war between uh, the U.S. and, and China? I'm, I'm seeing things, people are buying more things online, and there are people talking about how it's taking longer to get some things, some things are back-ordered, out of stock, and, and I've actually heard people blame that on uh, higher tariffs on certain items that, you know, um, places just aren't stocking them because of the, 
of the tariffs is is that still like a, a thing I, I mean what's what's happening with that in the midst of this pandemic it, has that been slowed or changed or is that still uh, impacting no, the economy no it's still with us it's just been pushed to the back burner um, like everything else has during this pandemic um, yeah, it's amazing about all the things that we're talking about, say, up till the 1st of March that we've just kind of forgotten about, right? There was impeachment. That was only, what, um, five months ago, roughly? Well, yeah, it was in January or February. I remember talking <laughs> to a, uh, a banker just recently who was talking about um, having their lobby opened, you know, at, at the bank and receiving customers that were wearing masks and socially distancing. And I couldn't help thinking that four months before that, if somebody had walked into a bank wearing a mask, they would have been received very differently. Right. right. So it's just hard to believe that less than six months ago, the House of Representatives impeached the president. There was a Senate trial, and no one's really talking about it just because of how things have deteriorated with this pandemic. You know, it's the same with, like, the Russian collusion. That was, like, a huge story for, um, like, the better part of three years. The special counsel's report comes out that suggests that, well, there wasn't really, you know, Russian collusion in the sense that the Trump campaign doesn't appear to have actively colluded with the Russian government. So everyone's kind of forgotten about that. Um, everyone kind of, has kind of forgotten about everything as a result of the pandemic. And the trade war is one of them in that right before the pandemic hit, it looked like um, the U.S. and China was on the cusp of some sort of new trade agreement, or at least a preliminary agreement. The market was responding to it. Um, and now that seems to have all gone out the window. And it's been speculated that one of the reasons why the president was slow to respond to the pandemic was that he didn't want to jeopardize um, that trade agreement. Well, given how everything deteriorated, it seems like he's made the political calculation that laying the blame uh for the pandemic on the feet of the Chinese government um, is a better political move than trying to work with China to try to reach a new trade agreement, which is why he's out there calling it the China virus or the Wuhan virus. Um, <laughs> right. And it seems like the, the trade war has escalated in the sense that uh, the U.S. government is on the cusp of banning the social media app TikTok which I'm not super familiar with since I don't use it, but it appears it's like a Snapchat type thing where you know people make short dance videos and post them that other people can see. Um, it's it's made by a a developer that I think is either owned directly or closely linked to the Chinese government, and there's lots of privacy concerns of that. It appears that the Chinese government could be using TikTok to TikTok to scrape people's um, personal data. Um, so the Indian government banned it famously, and um, the Trump administration is on the cusp of banning it as well. Um, rather than working with the Chinese government to address those concerns, it seems like it's a, he's made the political calculation that they should just um, aggressively ban it and escalate the trade war. Um, so I think that's one reason why things in China are in short supply. Another reason is, is that the coronavirus has just disrupted supply chains. And that you have a large swath of the Chinese economy that was shut down for, 
you know, six weeks or so where people were working in factories, you know, producing stuff for the American export market. So lots of stuff that are made, lots of things that are made in China are just unavailable at the store shelves as a result. Well, um, and, then, and then there are warehouses and, and uh, uh, shippers um, there and here that have gone through varying degrees of shutdown. Right. Yeah, so if, if products aren't being produced, because that's going to ripple through the supply chain and be unavailable on store shelves. I mean, they could compound if there's hiccups in the um, transportation sector as well. Uh so I've, I've noticed at Walmart, you know, various things that are made in China just aren't available. Uh, like I went to Walmart a couple months ago to try to buy like a new inflatable pool chair. Yeah, they just weren't on the store shelves, I suspect, because they're made in China and the supply chain has been completely disrupted. And I've noticed that on Amazon.com too that, you know, certain things that are made in China will have an expected ship date that's a month or two down the road. Um you know, just because so much of those lower-cost consumer goods are are made in China, that's where the shutdown first hit. As people do more and more of their shopping, especially during this pandemic, online, um, Jeff Bezos uh, is is doing very very well during the pandemic. But who are some of the others? Uh, Who's, who's doing well in this uh, time when so many things are shut down and, and disrupted? Yeah, it seems like the tech sector in general is doing well. Um, the valuation of Apple hit over a trillion dollars um, this week, uh, which is a bit puzzling because um, Apple's not a, Apple a hasn't Apple hasn't seemed very competitive in recent years. Right, like the iPhone's not particularly new, the iPad's not particularly new, the I, the Apple Watch has been out there for a while, but for whatever reason, um, Apple's becoming more valuable. Maybe one reason is, is because people are shopping on iTunes when they're stuck at home. Um, it's hard to know. Um, I think Netflix has done pretty well uh, because you know people are at home watching Netflix, so Netflix subscriptions are up. But yeah, the kind of the poster child for who's done well is Amazon because if you're confined to your house um, you can't go to a downtown retail store to buy whatever you're going to buy the shopping malls are closed kind of Amazon is your only alternative and since FedEx and UPS are still running you could use Amazon Amazon Prime and you'll get the thing in a, in a week or so even with you know various slowdowns and shipping so yeah, Jeff Bezos and Amazon, they're kind of like the big winners with this whole shutdown is you know, people really have no other options but to buy things online. People are, are starting to talk about pushing things out to um, 2021 and 2022 because of coronavirus. Um, it, what happens to all of these um, these trends if we're looking at a three-year event. Yeah, so I think what happens is that... And I think we are, by the way. Yeah, it's always hard to speculate because, you know, back in January, who would have guessed that this is where we would be in August? Uh, but that certainly seems to be the most likely outcome in that, you know, things start to slowly reopen, but you might see pockets of 
virus spikes, which lead to pockets of shutdowns, like you saw in Florida and Texas and Arizona. Cases seem to be declining in those states, but um, those states extended their shutdowns at least to part of July. So whenever you see a flare-up, you're going to see a shutdown until the flare-up subsides. So I think that's probably the most likely outcome for the next couple of years is that you just see um, your flare-ups plus uh, short-term shutdowns. So if that's what happens, I think what happens is that you're going to see more and more small businesses just go under. You know, that the local restaurant um, can't make it um, if he has to run at 50% capacity with no shutdown and then at, at, at takeout only if there is a shutdown. Um, that's also going to be the case of the winter in that a lot of the restaurants in Michigan are surviving because they have outdoor seating, so they could exceed that 50% indoor capacity by having outdoor seating. Well, that's not going to be feasible in January, of course. So I think you're just going to start to see, unfortunately, towns empty out of their small businesses as they run out of cash, their reduced capacity can't pay their bills, and they just face permanent bankruptcy. So lots of these towns that have really banked on uh, small retail shops, bars and restaurants, and driving people downtown are going to be in real trouble. And you're going to see the Amazons of the world and other big box stores that can survive uh, with reduced capacity or by selling things online uh, get even bigger and richer. So in that sense, the coronavirus shutdown is going to worsen income inequality. It's going to make the richer richer. It's going to make um, the middle classes and the lower class people uh, poorer. And you kind of see that with recessions, that if you look at the Great Recession, uh, the rich got richer. You know, the big banks got bigger and more entrenched. Um, and the poor and the middle class, they suffered with a, a sluggish labor market and slow recovery of jobs and wages. So I think that's the short to medium term trend, unless there's a big breakthrough on the vaccine front that, there's a vaccine that's safe, effective, it's um, widely utilized, and things become back to normal in 2021. And we, we get to that, that so-called herd immunity. Right, exactly. Where you don't, so, you don't have to, to travel in fear of contracting the disease. Um, Chris, we're, we're just about out of time, but uh, in the minute or so that we have left... Um, any uh, Anything on your radar that we should be paying attention to? No, I think the thing to pay attention to is just look at virus cases across different states and see how that translates to the shutdowns. Because I think the economic recovery hinges so much on whether or not there's another shutdown. It was May, June. Um, job growth was much better than expected because um, the economy reopened more quickly than it was expected. But I think in July, you're going to see job growth be sluggish because you know, Florida, Texas, Arizona, two bit, three big economic sectors had to shut down because of a spike. But I think future spikes is going to drive so much of the economic recovery because it's going to drive so much of whether or not there's another shut, shutdown or not. So I think that's what you really need to keep your eye on. Well, Chris, thanks for spending this time with me. I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, me too. It's always great to be here, Tom. All right. You take care. Hey, you too. Bye-bye. That was um, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint.
We're going to take a uh, short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a 
place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. George Parr, you are in an investment banker. I am, yes. Yes. And as such, you have your fingers right on the pulse of the financial market. Yeah, very much so, yes. And uh, during the summer, there's been uh, a great deal of turbulence and volatility, volatility, volatility in, in the market. Yes, yes. tremendously, yes, tremendously. Yes, yes. and uh, wh- what has caused that? Well, uh, you have to remember two things about the market. One is that they are made up of very sharp and sophisticated people mm. who, uh, um, these are the greatest brains in the world. And the second thing you have to remember is that the financial markets, uh, to use the common phrase, are driven by sentiment. Uh, What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, uh, things, let's say, are just going along as normal in the market. And then, suddenly, out of the blue, one of these very sharp and sophisticated people says, My God, something awful is going to happen! We lost everything. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, uh, Shall I jump out of the window? Shall I jump out of the window? (laughs) Let's all jump out of the window. Oh, sell! We've lost a sell! 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 Yes, precisely. Yes, precisely. (laughs) And then a few days later, this same uh, sophisticated person says, You know, I think things are going rather well. And everybody says, yes, I, I agree with you. I think we're rich. We're rich. Yes. We're rich. Bye-bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> Bye-bye-bye, yes. yes. And that, that is, that's what we call market sentiment. Uh, but, uh, well, <laughs> yes, uh, surely we are exaggerating just a bit, aren't well, we? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, in August, in the middle of August this year, when the market absolutely plunged in, in London, the, uh, a well-known city firm, uh, State Street Global Markets, mm-hmm. uh, issued a statement in which it said, and I quote, Market participants don't know whether to buy on the rumour and sell on the news. Do the opposite, do both, or do neither, depending on which way the wind is blowing, unquote. (laughs) Yes, and this is the kind of rigorous analysis Analysis, the companies will pay huge salaries for. Yes, exactly. And a, a few days later, when the markets have gone up a little bit, the senior equities advisor on ABM, Ambrose Morgan, said, and I quote, we're back to happy days again. <laughs> well, no price is too high for that, uh, no. for that kind and, of and mature wisdom. Certainly not. <laughs> this sort of people are, are paid millions of pounds in bonuses. Yes, of course. Uh, during this summer, there have been actual causes behind the volatility in the markets, yes, haven't there? I yes. mean, specifically and especially in America, uh, granting vast numbers of mortgages uh, to people who can't afford them yes. on properties which are diminishing in value. Well, yeah, this is the so-called subprime uh, situation, yes, the, the subprime, subprime market. Yes. How, how does that work, in fact? Well, imagine, uh, if you can, uh, say, <coughs> an unemployed black man sitting on a crumbling porch somewhere in Alabama in his string vest, and mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a chap comes along and says, would you like to buy this house before it falls down? And um, why do you let me lend you the money? And is this chap who says this, is he a banker? Oh, no, no, no. He's a mortgage salesman. His income depends entirely on the number of mortgages that he can arrange. 
So his judgment to arrange mortgages is completely objective? Completely objective, yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. yes. And, uh, and what happens next? Well, then this debt, this mortgage, is, 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 debt, is, 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 is taken, uh, bought by a bank and p- packaged together mm-hmm. on Wall Street with a lot of other uh, similar debts. Without going into much detail about what is actually... Without going into any detail, no, it's far too boring. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is, this is put into a package of debt, and, so, and then it's moved on to Wall Street, and this, this is it's extraordinary what happens then, that mm-hmm. somehow this package of dodgy debt stops being a package of dodgy debts and starts being what we call a structured investment vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, SIV? And SIV, exactly, yes. Yes, I see. And then someone like you comes along and, 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 and buys it. I, I buy it, yes. And uh, yes. then I will ring up, I don't know, somebody in Tokyo and say, look, I've got this package, do you want to buy it? Mm-hmm. And they say, what's in it? And I say, I haven't got the faintest idea. <laughs> and they say, how much do you want for it? And I say, a hundred million dollars. And then, then they say, fine, that's it. And that's the, that's the market. <laughs> and presumably, this package, I mean, that kind of thing can happen several times oh, to the could, same yes, could, uh, possibly, package. Possibly, yes. and, uh, and every time it does, of course, um, then you or someone like you will get a fee and a markup. And, and a profit, and, yes. And, yes. And, and so well, you're expected to do it for nothing. It's hard work, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> In view of the fact that, that in these packages there's a lot of dodgy debt, mm. uh, what is it about it that attracts the, the financial, investor. you know, risk-takers? Yes, well, because um, these, f- these hedge funds, as they're called, which specialize in these debts, um, they all have very good names. You mean they're responsible <laughs> companies? No, no, I don't know. It's nothing to do with their reputation. They have actually very, very good names. They're, the names they think up of them are very good. I'll give you an example. <laughs> there, there, there's a, a very well-known American Wall Street firm called Bear Stearns mm-hmm. who have two of these hedge funds which specialize in these, these mortgage debts. And uh, they lost so much money, well, lost so much of its value, that Bear Stearns announced that they would have to put in $3.2 billion dollars into one of the funds to try and keep it afloat. $3.2 billion? $3.2 billion, yes, yes. And even then they said the investors couldn't get any money out of it and they were going to let the other fund go. But one of these funds was called the High Grade Structured Credit Strategies Fund and the other was called the High Grade Structured Credit Enhanced Leverage Fund. <laughs> well, that sounds very good. That's it? good, isn't it? it? Yeah. <laughs> This is the the magic of the market. What started off as lending a few thousand dollars to an unemployed black man in the string vest has become a high-grade structured credit enhanced leverage fund. (laughs) I like the sound of it. It it is good. It sounds very trustworthy. I mean, it's got good words in it. It's got words like high. High is good. High is good. (laughs) Better than low, anyway, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And and structured is another good word. Very good. Enhanced. I love enhanced. Enhanced is very good. I mean, I'd buy anything. If it said enhanced, absolutely. Yes, it might have been different if it said the unemployed black man in the string vest fund. But but, but, (laughs) yes, because then uh, alarm bells might start (laughs) to ring. But uh, despite these very plausible names, Mm. surely the reality is that the people that lent all this money have been incredibly stupid. Oh no. No, no, the reality is that what was stupid is that at some point somebody asked how much money these houses were actually worth. 
I mean, if they hadn't bothered to ask that question, then everything would have gone on as perfectly normal. But unfortunately, they did. I see, but now, you see, people are saying the crisis is likely to turn into a financial meltdown. I mean, can that be avoided? It can be avoided, provided that governments and central banks give us, the financial speculators, back the money that we've lost. But isn't that rewarding greed and stupidity? No, no. It's rewarding what the Prime Minister Gordon Brown called the ingenuity of the markets. That is the... <laughs> you see, and, and, and we, don't want, we don't want this money to spend on ourselves. We want this money just to go into the market so that we can carry on borrowing and lending money as if nothing had happened without thinking too much about it. <laughs> yes, but if the worst came to the worst and you didn't get this money, what then? Well, then there'd be another market crash, and then I would say to you what people like me always say, that it's not us that will suffer, it's your pension fund. Thank you very much, George Parr. My pleasure. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. to get some new girlfriends so I went and bought a Mercedes Benz a waste of money eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless so I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls they repossessed Both the car and the pearls I styled my hair Just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair Of those new Tight pants A waste of money Household finance Took my pants <laughs> The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out Of both cash And credit I found a honey And this is What's funny She don't need My money She works for Household finance for a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com
Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 